My name is Jack Hughes, pastor of Anchor Bible Church. I think I've met some of you. And uh, if you've been super blessed, you, you ladies got to see my wife. And so uh, I hope that was a blessing to you. Uh, Jay asked me to do uh, the supersonic flyby of the book of Revelation. He told me that you guys studied this not too long ago. And he thought it would be good to just kind of do a review and kind of just remind yourself of the book. So we're basically going to try and blast through the whole book in one one thing. I've, I've created some PowerPoint slides so you can kind of help you um, absorb the volume of information because there's going to be a lot of information and I won't be able to like deal with all the little the microscopic details. We're just going to be hitting the big picture of it. And so in as as you'll see, uh, I've taken uh, Dr. Robert Thomas's kind of structural kind of telescopic view of the book of Revelation, and we'll kind of show you that, then we'll kind of highlight a part, you'll see the parts that are highlighted, and then we'll expand that, and then go back to the main slide where it's highlighted, and then expand that and talk about it, and so we'll kind of be work using that kind of picture, and you'll see. So as I speak, you'll be able to see it up on the screen, and you'll also be able to um, hear me say it, so hopefully some of it will stick. Um, if you want the, this side, slide presentation, presentation, you can actually go to the Anchor Bible Church app and or website and look under the book of Revelation, find the supersonic flyby sermon, and we've attached the PDF if you ever, or the PowerPoint if you want to use it for something else in the future. But let me pray, and then we'll jump into our supersonic flyby. Father, we just thank you for your grace and mercy. We thank you, Father, that you love us, that you sent your Son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross for us. We are also so excited and eagerly anticipating his any moment return for his church. Father, to catch us away, to take us to be in the Father's house. Lord, we look forward to that, to be transformed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye at the last trump. Father, we also look forward to your plan as we see the world proceeding from bad to worse. And yet we know, Lord, Jesus said, these things must take place, but the end is not yet. So help us not to grow weary in well-doing. Help us to be lights in a dark world. Help us not to forget that you are sovereign, that you raise up kings and you take them out. They are like stubble that the storm wind carries away. And so, Father, we don't need to fear. We can trust in you. You are on your throne and you are bringing your perfect plan to completion. And that plan will culminate in Jesus coming back in glory and establishing his kingdom on earth. Lord, we look forward to all these things, and we pray now that as we quickly blow through the book of Revelation, that you would give us ears to hear and eyes to see, that we might be blessed, and we might have more eager anticipation for your coming back to this world to establish righteousness. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Okay, so... Here we go. We got, is that work? Oh, that's got to be on me too. Okay. Well, I didn't know that. Let me just put this here. How's that? Now, let me just put this a little bit down. Let me just say, there about that. Well, let me. I don't think we're re- well, let me just turn that on. Oh, is that what? It is? How's that? I don't know. Is it working? It's working now. Hey. Here. Ah. Hey. Ah. Yeah. Is it working? Let's see. Okay. It's on now. The mic is on. So whatever that means. Should I start going? 
You want me to go ahead and go? Okay, well, the lab is on, this is on, that's on. I've got more tech on me than that jet fighter. Okay. Hyperbole. Jesus used it. All right, so I've told, been told you've studied the book of Revelation, and uh, that's what we're going to do, just to refresh in your mind stuff of you've are, most of you have already learned, and maybe some of you will learn some things you didn't remember or never learned yet, uh, but that's what we're going to do. So what we have here is we kind of have uh, a, a layout here of the book of Revelation, and uh, you have kind of a theme verse uh, in Revelation 119, where the resurrected, glorified Lord says to John, therefore, write the things which you have seen, Revelation, you know, 1, and the things which are, Revelation 2 and 3, the letters to the churches, and the things which will take place after these things. This is Revelation chapter 4 through 22. So we're going to use Revelation 119 as kind of our major structural verse. And then when we get into the judgment section, we'll use the telescopic view uh, developed by Dr. Robert Thomas, who did his doctoral work on the structure of the book of Revelation. So first, we need to consider some of the things John has already witnessed. This is in Revelation 1, and uh, you can see, whenever you see the little highlighted part, that tells you that's what we're going to drill down on, okay? That's what we're going to be looking at, so that's what's going on. So this slide here is an expansion of the yellow part there. So that's how it works through the whole thing, so I'm not going to explain that anymore. You'll be able to figure it out because you're intelligent people. All right, so here we go. There's, we have a, a prologue in Revelation 1, 1 through 3. We are given the theme, the revelation of Jesus Christ. We're given the recipients, the slaves, uh, the general content, things which will soon take place, and where Jesus... Uh, this is slave John uh, got his information. He received it from God. He's promised blessing for those who read and heed the book of Revelation. And then there is the urgency for the time is near. In Revelation 1, verses 4 through 7, we have the salutation where John explains how this letter initially was sent to the seven churches of Asia Minor, and it's authored by the resurrected Lord himself. John promises the churches that Jesus is coming again, that every eye will see him, and those who pierce him will mourn, which is an allusion to Zechariah chapter 12, verse 10. In Revelation 1, verses 8 through 18, we have the vision of the Lord of glory himself, which alludes to Daniel 7, verses 13 and 14, where the Son of Man approaches the Ancient of Days. John faints when he sees the glorified Lord. Jesus revives him and tells him that, to not be afraid. Jesus then gives his credentials, the end of verse 17 and 18, I am the first and the last and the living one. I was dead, and behold, I am alive forever, and I have the keys of death and Hades. Then in Revelation 1.19, John is given the command to write. And in verse 20, we are told um, that, that he is to give it to the, the seven golden lampstands, which represent the seven churches. The seven stars represent the seven angels or messengers who were to deliver the letters to the actual seven churches that existed then in the first century in Asia Minor. 
And then this brings us to the second section, the things that are. So we've kind of looked a little bit in the past, and now we're looking at the present, the churches, the letters to the churches. So that's what we're going to be looking at right now. The seven churches are evaluated by Jesus, who is pictured in the first chapter, moving in among the churches, kind of checking out and shepherding the churches, which is a little ominous because he does that to this church too. And he goes through each of the churches then and gives each church kind of a a little evaluation. The church of Ephesus is commended in nine different ways. They have discernment. They're not putting up with false doctrine. They've had the, the A-team of teachers, Paul, Apollos, Tychicus, Timothy. I mean, they've got the A-team of teachers there. And yet, surprisingly, though they have so many things right, and they are commended by so many things, they have left their first love, Jesus Christ, and they don't even know it. That is a scary thought. And Jesus says, listen, if you don't repent, I'm going to snuff out your church. And they didn't, and he did. The second church is Smyrna. It was poor, persecuted. Uh, it's encouraged to remain faithful, and no rebuke is given. Then you have the church of Pergamum. They live where Satan's throne was located. They tolerated some false teaching, some immorality, and therefore are rebuked, told to repent, or Jesus himself would wage war against them. The church of Thyatira was growing in grace, but tolerated immoral false teacher whom Jesus promised to punish along with her followers. Jesus exhorts the church of Thyatira to reject this woman's teaching. The church of Sardis had... Few believers, but most were spiritually dead. Jesus calls them to repent, to wake up, to strengthen the few things that were about to die or be caught off guard by Jesus' second coming in glory. The church of Philadelphia was a church with a little power, was being attacked by false teachers. Jesus promised to keep them from the hour of testing that will come upon the whole world that is the tribulation. And then finally, you have the church of Laodicea, your typical rich, dead, liberal church. Jesus calls them to repent, to open the door and let him in. Overcomers or unbelievers in each of these churches are promised special blessings at the end of each of the letters. So then we get to the things which will take place. This is kind of the bulk, the middle of the book of Revelation, chapters, you know, uh, 6 through 22. There's a little historical spot in verses 4 and 5 where John takes us to heaven. There's actually a worship service going on because God is going to send judgments on the earth and then come in glory to establish his kingdom. So there's kind of pre-judgment celebration in chapters 4 and 5. But in this section, we kind of have, you know, this, this big period here. This is the tribulation period that we're going to be looking at. It addresses the things which will take place after the churches in the future. Predictive prophecy, the largest section of the book of Revelation. Daniel's 70th week, if you've ever studied that, in Daniel 9, verses 24 to 27. Uh, and it ends with Jesus coming back to establish his kingdom. But before John gets into the details of the tribulation, he is taken in spirit to heaven. He witnesses this worship service. 
And John sees a throne in verse 2, 24 elders in verse 4. He also, uh, uh, is, this is also described in Ezekiel chapter 1 and 10. Jesus moves around in heaven on this biomechanical throne. There is this big sea of glass or crystal, kind of a platform. On that platform sits a throne. Underneath that throne uh, is intersecting wheels. And in the quadrants of each of those intersecting wheels are one of these these cherubim or seraphim, and they basically move Jesus and his throne around like lightning. It's, it's pretty wild, but you can read about it in Ezekiel 1 and 10, and Jesus is worshipped in verses 8 through 11. And then we get to the next portion, which uh, is in Revelation chapter 5, verses 1 through 3, a dilemma is presented again. Um, who is found worthy to open the, the, the seals on the scroll? And nobody can be found. And then Jesus is sought and he alone is declared to be worthy uh, to basically unleash the judgments of Daniel's 70th week upon the earth uh, as uh, this will continue all the way through Revelation 21 verse 5 when there is the destruction of of the current heavens and earth and the recreation at that point. So then we get into this section, this Daniel's 70th week section, the seven-year tribulation, a time when Jesus judges the earth and saves many Jews and Gentiles. Half point of the tribulation is a critical marker because that's when the abomination of desolation occurs by the Antichrist. The Antichrist goes into the temple and declares himself to be God in the middle of the tribulation. And that is a critical marker. It's also mentioned in Daniel chapter 9 verse 27. The Antichrist rises to power during the first three and a half years of the tribulation, and then he declares himself to be God after a time, times and a half of times, or 42 months, or 1,260 days. Those different three and a half year increments are used in various texts. Then you get to the next section where you start dealing with the judgments of the book of Revelation. And so this little picture here that you see, this telescopic view, uh, actually it's kind of hard. I separated them, but actually when you look at the end of the seal, the seventh seal and the first trumpet overlap. They overlap. I, I spread them apart so you could see them a little more succinctly, but... Just know that the last seal judgment gives way to the trumpet judgments. And the last trumpet judgment gives way to the bull judgment. So there's kind of an, the last one is the giving away of the other one. So it's the transition. And as the judgments progress, they get increased. They increase. That's why, you know, they're a little bit taller, each one. The magnitude, the severity of the judgments increase towards the end. And they also come in more rapid succession towards the bull. The bull judgments happen like wham, 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 though they are mentioned and then a whole bunch of explanatory prophecies are given before they're actually explained. So this is the, the judgment kind of sequence. And again, this ends in Revelation 21.5. So if you remove all the, the interludes, because John doesn't just give the judgments and then the book, he gives some judgments and then he stops and he says things like, well, let me tell you about this and let me tell you about this. And let me just rewind a little bit so you can understand this other thing. And so he's constantly kind of 
telling you the big picture and then going back and filling in the detail with kind of explanatory prophecies of certain things that are happening. And then when we get to this section here, we get into the, the seal judgments in Revelation 6 and 8. And you can see it there. Uh, you, you were told about the 144,000 Jews who are sealed by God, an army of Jewish evangelists in Revelation 7, 1 through 17. Then the seventh seal judgment is finally given in, chapter, in Revelation chapter 8, verse 1, a transition to the seven trumpet judgments described in Revelation 8, 2 to eleven nineteen. And in this section, again, there's a whole bunch of explanatory prophecies. The little graphic here, the big graphic doesn't show that just because yeah, there's too much detail. But if you look further at this, then you get into what are called the trumpet judgments. They're given in sequence. They are worse in severity than the sealed judgments. They kill a third of the earth's population. They come in more rapid succession. The first four deal with natural type disasters, you know, volcanoes, tsunamis, things falling into the sea, um, you know, fire, things like that. And then the fifth and sixth trumpet judgments are demonic plagues, followed by more explanatory prophecies. Then when we get to the next section, this is kind of where you can see here things are the seals, the little book, the two witnesses. Um, all these things begin to happen in Revelation 10, uh, 1 through 11. The angel descends from heaven. He's got this little book in his hand. The book is open, and it leads to the seven peals of thunder, which John is told he can't tell us what they are. Otherwise, he'd have to shoot us. So um, we don't know what that is. It's like, well, thanks, you know. You bait us, you know, man, these things are amazing. I can't tell you. Well, then why even mention it? Anyways, uh, we'll have to ask him about that. But John is told in Revelation 10, verse 9, to eat the little book. And then he prophesies about the future things. John eats the book, which is sweet to his taste, but bitter in his stomach. For he must prophesy about more judgments to come to the, upon the world of men before Jesus returns in glory to establish his kingdom on earth. In Revelation 11, 1 through 14, we're introduced to the two witnesses who preach the gospel, perform signs and wonders, uh, like Moses, Elijah. They send plagues. They warn of coming judgment. The seven trumpet judgment is given. And then in Revelation 11, verses 15 through 19, the seventh trumpet judgment includes lightning, peals of thunder, an earthquake, a great hailstorm, and the promise of Jesus' coming. Uh, you know... When I studied this, I could never figure out when exactly the two witnesses ministry is. Sometimes I think, well, maybe it's in the first half, but then maybe the second half, maybe spanning the middle. I don't know. I even called Michael Vlock and said, hey, do you have any ideas? He goes, no, but if you figure it out, let me know. Um, so there you go. Uh, <laughs> I'm ignorant of that one, but you have these two witnesses and it's pretty neat to see their, their ministry. Then we have kind of the middle of the tribulation. And again, this is a key marker, remember, a key marker. And in Revelation 12, we're given a series of kind of explanatory prophecies that describe a, vi a variety of events, most relating to the midpoint of the tribulation. So we're just going to expand that little transition part right there into this. 
In Revelation 12, 1 and 2, we are given a past historical summary of the nation of Israel and the Messiah, Jesus Christ. The woman clothed in the sun represents Israel. She's wearing a crown of 12 stars, which represents the 12 tribes, and her child represents Jesus Christ. During the tribulation, a great red dragon appears, Revelation 12, 3 and 4, who we are told later is the serpent of old, the devil, and Satan. And he tries to devour the woman's child after she gives birth, a reference to Herod trying to kill the Christ child. Uh, and, you know, in the, in the Gospels, we read about it. Uh, and so Jesus, uh, the woman's child, of course, has to escape to Egypt. And then in Revelation 12, 5 and 6, we are told the woman's child is destined to rule all nations. A reference to Isaiah chapter 9, verses 6 and 7, among other texts. The child is caught up to heaven and to his throne, which of course happens at Jesus' ascension from the Mount of Olives into heaven, recorded in Acts chapter 1. Then John returns to future events in the middle tribulation. So the woman... Israel must flee to the wilderness, verse 6. We know this happens in the middle of the tribulation after the Antichrist abominates the temple because Jesus said in Matthew 24 in the Olivet Discourse as he's describing this very thing, he says, when you see the abomination of desolation, which was spoken through the prophet Daniel standing in the holy place, and he goes on to say, then those who are in Judea must flee to the mountains, that is, the mountains to the east and to Edom area, uh, where Petra is, possibly, that area there. Daniel 9.27 tells us the abomination of desolation happens again in the middle of the tribulation. Revelation 12.7-10, we are told about the angelic war in heaven. The dragon, or Satan, and his demonic throng are cast out of heaven and confined to earth. Satan, realizing this, intensifies his persecution of the Jews. He's trying to exterminate the Jews completely so that Christ's promises and his rule and reign over the Jewish people during the millennium cannot come to pass. In Revelation 13, 1, it describes the beast from the sea, uh, the Antichrist, with ten horns and ten diadems and seven heads, like a leopard, a bear, a lion, is empowered and throned and given great authority by the dragon, Satan, in Revelation 13, verse 2. John borrows imagery from Daniel. The ten horns uh, with, the, uh, with crowns are the ten kings or nations. The, the beast is the Antichrist. And you remember the vision, uh, Nebuchadnezzar's vision, and the ten toes right before the kingdom was established uh, on, the, on the beast. And later on, he speaks of the ten horns on another beast. Uh, you have in Daniel the leopard with wings, which represents Greece, the bear, the Medo-Persian empire, and the lion with wings representing Babylon. The beast with iron teeth represents the Roman Empire and the revived Roman Empire. So you have the false prophet, the Antichrist, public relations person, is then described in Revelation 13, 11 through 18, as a beast coming up out of the earth. So the, the Antichrist beast is described as coming out of the sea. He's described as coming up out of the earth. He forces people to worship the Antichrist. Both the Antichrist and false prophet are assisted by Satan and his demonic forces. 
We are told the saints will be persecuted in Revelation 13, 7 through 10. And in Revelation 14, 1 through 5, the 144,000 Jewish evangelists mentioned earlier in chapter 7, verses 4 through 8, are described as singing a new song in heaven before the elders and the four living creatures. They are described as purchased from the earth, not defiled with immorality, the first fruits to God and the Lamb. And it seems the Jewish evangelists have been martyred and therefore are described as being in heaven, not on earth, which would be the case after Jesus' return. Now, some disagreements about this, that they're all been martyred. Some people think they actually make it through the whole thing. And the question is, why are they pictured in heaven if, you know, they're still alive? And you'll have to ask your pastor about that. Then in Revelation 14, verses 6 and 7, there are three angelic announcements. The first angel flies through mid-heaven, the atmosphere, telling men to fear and give God glory uh, for judgment is coming and to worship the creator of heaven and earth. Jesus gives those on earth every opportunity to repent and be saved from the lake of fire. The second angel, Revelation 14, 8, declares that Babylon the Great, the wicked and the immoral city, is fallen. And we are told more about Babylon the Great later in Revelation 18. The third angel in Revelation 14, 9 through 13, warns against receiving the mark of the beast. In order to buy and sell, you have to receive the mark of the beast. In order to receive the mark of the beast, you have to worship the beast and become his possession. And if you do this, it's an unpardonable sin, for John says, all who receive the mark will suffer in the lake of fire. The world of men hear the gospel preached by an angel from heaven, but still reject Jesus. The harvest judgment comes and is described in Revelation 14, verses 14 through 20. An angel from the temple is told to put in his sharp sickle and reap clusters of unbelievers from the earth like grapes to be thrown in the great winepress of the fierce wrath of God the Almighty, borrowing imagery from God trampling unbelievers like grapes in Isaiah 63, verses 3 through 6, Lamentations 1, 15, and Joel chapter 3, verse 13. Then you get to the last seven plagues to be poured out on earth and the seven bowls of wrath. We are taken to heaven to see the martyred saints sing the song of Moses, which is also recorded for us in Exodus 15, a song of deliverance and redemption by God. And though killed by the Antichrist, they are victorious in heaven. You remember what Jesus said in John 14, that he who believes in me, or John 11, he who believes in me will live even if he dies. So in Revelation 16, uh, we, we go on to see the seven angels who are told to pour out the seven bulls of God's wrath on the earth, and they are poured out in rapid succession. Now, it may not seem like that when you're studying the book of Revelation, because as soon as it says that, it then gives two chapters of explanatory prophecies before they're actually poured out in rapid succession. So you have the first bowl, loathsome sores, chapter 16, verse 2. The second bowl, sea turned into blood, chapter 16, verse 3. The third bowl, rivers the sea turned into blood, chapter 16, verse 4. Fourth bowl, sun burns men with fire, chapter 16, verses 8 and 9. Fifth bowl, painful darkness and sores, chapter 16, verse 10. Sixth bowl, the Euphrates River is dried up, chapter 16, verse 12. And then 
The seventh bowl is the greatest earthquake that in the history of the world. It shakes the whole world. And uh, the sixth bowl judgment, the Euphrates being dried up, is a key because in the explanatory prophecies, it explains how it being dried up allows the armies of the ten kings, which are the puppet kings of the Antichrist, to bring their armies easily across the Euphrates to uh, assemble in the valley of Megiddo, Har Megiddon, for the great battle of the last day. So then we get into this section now, and uh, we're going to be kind of focusing. Now we're at the end of the tribulation. In between the sixth and seventh bold judgments, Revelation 16, verses 13 through 16, we are given more explanatory prophecies out of the mouth of the dragon and the prophet come three unclean spirits like frogs. Uh, These are the unholy trinity, and uh, you probably know that frogs catch their prey with their tongue. So they're lying, deceiving uh, influences here, and they gather the kings of the earth together for the battle of Armageddon. Uh, Armageddon, again, means the Valley of Megiddo. It's actually not where the battle itself takes place. Uh, It's where the kings gather for battle, which we're told in other texts, happen in Judah and Jerusalem. So the battle itself is fought in Judah and Jerusalem. You can see that in Joel chapter 3, verse 2, Zechariah chapter 12, verse 11. Unlike other world wars, the kings of the earth will be united together against the Jews because they are being controlled by the Antichrist who hates the Jews. Then the seventh and final bowl judgment occurs and kind of, you know, wrecks the earth. Revelation 16, 18 through 21. More natural disasters uh, ravish the earth. And then in Revelation 17, 1 and 2, the great harlot, the false religion of the false prophet and the city from which uh, that false religion is propagated is overthrown as predicted earlier in Revelation chapter 14, verse 8. The great harlot seduces the kings of the earth and and causes uh, the city to be drunk with the blood of the saints, chapter 17, verse 6, and rides on the back of the beast, the Antichrist, Revelation 17, verses 1 through 7. The beast, or the Antichrist, is described in Revelation chapter 17, verse 8, as was and is not, and is about to come up out of the abyss And go to destruction. So the Antichrist receives a mortal wound, uh, as mentioned in Revelation 13, verse 3, and I think stages a fake resurrection from the dead, and at that point may be possessed by Satan uh, onward, or at least one of his main henchmen. The Antichrist is the world ruler for an hour, for the short time, the last three and a half years of the tribulation, according to Revelation 17, verse 12. God himself moves the kings of the earth to support the Antichrist so that they might all be judged together. And the Antichrist and the ten kings that support him are then uh, turn against the great harlot religion and the city. Revelation 17, verse 16, they make her desolate, eat her flesh, and burn her with fire. We are told in Revelation 17, verse 18, that the great harlot religion is the great city, the false religious system that attracts the kings of the earth to Babylon the great, which is judged in one day, according to Revelation 18, verse 8, and in one hour, according to Revelation 18, verse 10. 
The city is burned with fire, verse 8. And Revelation 18, verses 9 through 20, speaks of the merchants and um, the kings and the people lamenting the fall of Babylon the Great. And maybe, a, you know, it's a nuclear strike or uh, maybe a volcanic eruption like Pompeii or some other weapon that we don't know exists right now. But whatever it is, it just decimates the whole city, the religion, the people of Babylon the Great in an hour. And that, that warning is, is repeated three times in Revelation 18 for emphasis. And Revelation 18, verses 21 to 24, an angel from heaven throws a large stone, like a large upper millstone, to illustrate that Babylon the Great will be thrown down in violence like a huge millstone thrown into the sea to be seen no longer. Verses 21 to 24. Then we get a little bit further down now, and now we're kind of approaching uh, the second coming. How are we doing here? Oh, we're doing great. Um, Revelation, Revelation 19, verses 1 through 21. This is where I'm preaching right now. I've been preaching through Revelation for a long time, and I'm in the second coming section. But uh, this is the climax of the book. And this is the time when the theme and purpose of the book of Revelation, the revealing, the revelation, the apocalypsis of Jesus Christ, the Son of Man, to all those on earth in blazing glory, dealing out retribution to those who do not know him and rescuing those who do, comes to fruition. And here we have this this coming of Christ, and there are a lot of details here, way more than I could put on the slide, but I put as many as I could without totally messing it up. But there's a worship service in heaven in 1 through 6 again in anticipation, just like there was a worship service in heaven anticipating the judgments of God, now there's a worship service in heaven in the first six chapters of Revelation 19 anticipating Jesus' coming. This is what Christians look forward to, the eager anticipation of the second coming of Jesus Christ to earth to establish his kingdom. And of course, there is the church has been absent all the way through the book of Revelation, never mentioned after the letters of the churches and the heavenly scene in four, chapters 4 and 5 until we get here in Revelation 19, verses 7 through 10, where we see the bride of Christ in heaven, clothed in fine linen, celebrating the marriage supper of the Lamb in Revelation 19, verse 9. Jesus then breaks into time, space, and history in blazing glory to judge the nations and to establish himself as King of kings and Lord of lords. And this is what we read in Revelation 19, verses 11 through 16. And I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse, and he who sat in it is called Faithful and True. And in righteousness he judges and wages war. His eyes are a flame of fire. And his head are many diadems. And he has a name written on him which no one knows except himself. He is clothed with a robe dipped in blood. His name is called the Word of God. And the armies which are in heaven clothed in fine linen, white and clean, were following him on white horses. From his mouth comes a sharp sword, so that with it he may strike down the nations. And he will rule them with a rod of iron." And he treads the winepress of the fierce wrath of God, the Almighty. And on his robe and on his thigh, he has a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. 
So the beast, when Jesus returns in glory, when he breaks, comes through, he basically makes the whole earth pitch black, so there's no light, then rends the darkness with the glory of heaven, so the people on earth can see into heaven, and they see Jesus coming from heaven into the sky with the saints and ages, angels in flaming glory. And surprisingly, the beast rallies the armies of the ten kings to try and conquer the king of kings, according to Revelation 19, 19. But Jesus merely speaks a word. Verse 15, for out of his mouth comes that sharp sword so that with it he may strike down the nations. And in a moment, all believers all over the face of the earth drop dead. You go to... Zechariah chapter 14 and chapter 12 and learn about their gruesome fate. They basically decompose while standing up. The beast and the false prophet are then thrown into the lake of fire according to Revelation 19 verse 20. The millennial reign of Jesus is then described in chapter 20 verses 1 through 10. When Jesus proves to men and angels he is the King of kings and Lord of lords, the rightful heir of David's throne, ruler of kings of the earth. He sits as prophesied on David's throne. He rules over all the earth in righteousness from Jerusalem for 1,000 years. And then in Revelation 20, 1 through 3, Satan is bound, is cast into the abyss, which is sealed, so he can't deceive the nations any longer. A preview of the great white throne judgment is given in verse 4, and in verses 5 and 6 explain that believers will not take part in the second death, the lake of fire, but will rule and reign with Christ for a thousand years. As Revelation 20 verse 3 predicts, and verses 7 through 10 states, at the end of the millennial reign of Christ, Satan is released from his prison to deceive the nations. During the millennial uh, uh, during the millennium, there will be no, uh, there will be a population explosion from those who come to faith in Jesus Christ during the tribulation and survive the tribulation. They will have children during the millennium, but not all men will believe in Jesus Christ who are born during the thousand-year reign of Christ. Even though Jesus is ruling and reigning in righteousness from Jerusalem. And Satan rallies the unbelievers to attack Jerusalem, but Jesus commands fire to come down out of heaven, and they are killed instantly, according to Revelation 20, verse 9. Satan, the Antichrist, and false prophet, again, are cast into the lake of fire. So now we have this very interesting section here, this amazing um, just look at all the things which are happening in the thousand-year millennial reign of Christ. And as we go through it, you can see these events, which are listed on the screen there that I just quickly summarized. And, you know, you, you just say, okay, <laughs> there's a lot of stuff crammed in here, which, of course, we don't have time to go into. But the whole point is, is that 
right at the end of the tribulation, all these things are taking place, and Jesus is wresting the world away from Satan and demons to establish himself as the King of kings and Lord of lords. That's what you need to get here. All of these things are happening, and judgment is happening. The great white throne judgment is now happening right at the end, uh, after uh, the millennial reign of Christ. And all unbelievers from Cain, who slew his brother Abel, so the last rebel born during the millennium are resurrected to give bodies fit for eternal destruction, as texts like John 5, verses 28 and 29 tell us. And then, finally, we get to this great white throne judgment itself. The angels and men who have not bowed the knee to the lordship of Jesus Christ are judged Jesus, the judge of heaven and earth, judges them before the saints and holy angels. Revelation 20, 11 through 15. Jesus sits on a great white throne. Heaven and earth pass away. The books of their deeds are open. The book of life is open. Death and Hades are cast on the lake of fire, which is the second death. Then all unbelievers are cast into the lake of fire, where the Antichrist, the false prophets, Satan, and demons are already suffering everlasting judgment. And then we get to uh, the... Um, Revelation 21 and 22, they mostly deal with the eternal state. That is the, the world, the events, and eternity that follow the great white throne judgment. After the great white throne judgment, there will be no more unbelievers, no Satan, no demons, no rebels, only glorified saints and holy angels. Revelation 21 verses 1 through 9 tells us God destroys the heavens and the earth. 1 Peter 3.10 says he creates a new heaven, a new earth. There will be no more sea. Revelation 21, 1-9. This means if the new earth is the same size as ours, there will be 300% increase of habitable area, and the earth will probably be more like the Garden of Eden, or as John Milton might describe it, as paradise regained. And so you have this new Jerusalem, it comes down from heaven, Revelation 21, verses 2 through 3. God dwells with men. He wipes away their tears, their crying, their pain. Verse 4, he makes all things new, stars, planets, galaxies, everything. Verse 4, 5, and 6, believers are revealed as God's children. Verse 7, unbelievers are excluded forever. Verse 8, the bride of Christ, the wife of the Lamb, the church is revealed in all of her glory and splendor. There's a slide missing here. Sorry about that. And the New Jerusalem is then described as holy and brilliant and made of jewels and gems. has 12 gates attended by 12 angels, each gate with the name of one of the 12 tribes of Israel. It has 12 foundation stones, each with the name of the 12 apostles of the Lamb. The New Jerusalem is 1,500 miles cubed, the size of the United States, the eastern border of Texas to Canada, to Mexico, all the way to the West Coast, you know, a huge chunk of the United States uh, would be kind of give you a, a mental per, per perspective of it. The Lord God is its temple. The tree of life is there like an Eden, a river of life, Revelation 22, 1 through 20. The book of Revelation ends with the admonition that the Lord is coming quickly, which means imminently, that means at any time. Revelation 22, verse 12, and also verse 20 state that. And then Jesus speaks of this time on earth, and I will just read this as we close here. In Revelation 22, verses 13 through 20, 
21, he says, I am the Alpha, the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Blessed are those who wash their robes so that they may have a right to the tree of life and may enter by the gates into the city. Outside of the dogs and the sorcerers and the immoral persons and the murderers and the idolaters and everyone who loves and practices lying. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you these things for the churches. I am the root and descendant of David, the bright morning star. The spirit and the bride say, come and let the one who hears say, come and let the one who is thirsty come. Let the one who wishes to take of the water of light without cost. I testify to everyone who hears the words, the prophecy of this book. If anyone adds to them, God will add to him the plagues which are written in this book. And if anyone takes away from the words of this book, of this prophecy, God will take away his part from the tree of life and from the holy city which are written in this book. He who testifies to these things says, I am coming quickly. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with you all. Amen. I think at the end, there's obviously a pretty hard push there. That if you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you need to come to Jesus. You need to understand that you are a great sinner. That you have offended a holy God who by no means will leave the guilty unpunished. And it is only by placing your faith in Jesus Christ, crucified and resurrected from the dead, that you can receive the free gift of eternal life. Apart from your works, not because of your goodness or your church attendance or your Bible knowledge, but because of faith in Christ alone. And Jesus then will take your sin from you and he will impart to you or impute to you or give you or reckon to your account his infinite righteousness, reconciling you to God, justifying you before God so you can have a relationship with God and be in heaven with him for eternity. If you know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you are blessed. You will have right to eat of the tree of life. And you will live forever in the new heavens and new earth and reign forever with Christ. And so concludes the supersonic flyby. Kind of like stuffing an elephant into a thimble, isn't it? Let me pray for us and uh, then we can fellowship a little bit before the main service. Father, we come before you and looking at this much material this quickly is a little overwhelming. But Lord, what is clear is that you are sovereign, that you have told us what will take place, and it will take place just as you have said it would. Lord, I pray for anybody here who maybe is deceived about their true spiritual condition or knows in their heart that they don't love you. May you grant them the repentance that leads to life. May you draw them to yourself. May you open their hearts that they might understand that they need Jesus. And may they look to Christ to be saved. Father, we are thankful that as many as receive Christ, he gives the right to become children of God, even to those who believe in his name. And for the rest of us, Lord, help us to realize that the time is short. The days are dark. And we are your ambassadors. We are your lights. We are the city set on the hill. 
So help us to let our light so shine before men that they may see our good deeds and glorify our Father who is in heaven. Help us to both live and speak the gospel that sinners just like us might be transformed by your grace and come to saving faith in Jesus Christ. And we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.